Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York. Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezor and Mike Cadone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports talk show where we talk New York sports, all New York sports, and nothing but New York sports. My name is Mike Trezza. My usual co-host, Mike Godone, is not here tonight, but joining me in the studio, our usual Mets beat reporter, tonight my co-host, and that is Chris Caputo. Chris, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Everything's great. Good. Good to good to see you. And um, yeah, I wanted to tell you a funny story. So yesterday I am um, I'm having a little snack, you know, and I'm trying to stay away from the sweets because my doctor's telling me no good on the sweets. So I'm having one of these fruit snacks. OK, because I'm the um, sort of uneducated consumer who um, doesn't check the package. You know, I don't read the label. I just assume that it says fruit and it's good for you. You sure. know, So I'm chewing on one of these things and one of my crowns come, comes out. And I said, oh my goodness, I, I have a Zoom conference on Friday. <laughs> then I've got to do the show. So I had to go into my dentist's office luckily for me, he's local. Um, sort of beg him to glue this thing back in. Um, Dr. Nanavati, John Street in Lindenhurst. Great guy. I told him I'd give him a shout out on the show. He did a tremendous job. That's great. You know, I'm going to need one of those soon. So I'm definitely going to hit him up because uh, just had one of those things drilled and they still got to put that cap in. So maybe I can hit him up and uh, glad you got yours fixed. Yeah, it's really great. I said to myself, well, listen, I mean, you know, can we be honest here? I'm not Brad Pitt most weeks anyway, but I mean, I want to come with a big hole in my smile and look like, you know, um, I don't know, Freddy Krueger or Mike Myers or whoever you can name. So well, I said, stick to like a breadstick. Stay away from the fruit snacks. <laughs> I got to get this thing taken care of. So luckily, Dr. Nanavati, you are the best. Everybody in his uh, in his office is great. Andrea, his office manager, is lovely. So um, he was able to squeeze me and really hook me up today. But um, forget about that. Let's talk some Yankees, Chris, to help us do that. On the phone with us right now is our Yankees reporter, Declan Crogman. Hey, Deck, Mike and Chris, how are you tonight? Mike and Chris, how you guys doing? That sounds pretty familiar to uh, New York sports uh, radio listeners. Yes, not but, that uh, Mike and I Chris. Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to say, obviously, uh, no Mike uh, Godone tonight, no coach. Uh, very upsetting. I, I'm, I've am i heard great things about this dentist, but I don't get why coach had to go during the show to get his teeth fixed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He could have scheduled around it like you did. I don't know why he did that. But, no, that right. was me who had to get my teeth fixed. Declan. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the Yankee uh, one-game playoff deck. I know it's a week and a half ago already, but we haven't had a chance to talk to you. So let's get your reaction to that 6-2 loss up in Fenway on uh, that Tuesday night. Yeah. So first off, I did know that this story was about you. I was just teasing as to why he <laughs> wasn't okay. here today. I got gotcha. you. Uh, maybe he's working on his tan again. But uh, going back to uh, – Back to the Yankees-Red Sox, um, disappointing loss. It seemed like the team really never had any fighters showed up in the beginning. Um, Stanton hit the home run, or not a home run. Uh, according to John Sterling for about 35 seconds, it was a home run. And uh, He hit the long single. Yeah, a long single off the top of the wall. Uh, and he stuck on first base and obviously gets stranded. As, as you know, the Yankees never scored uh, in that first inning, nor did they possess a lead the entire game. Uh, which I'm no mathematician, but that's not usually the best formula for winning baseball games uh, if you're never going to possess a lead. Cole gives up the home run in the first inning to Bogart. Uh, Kyle Schwarber comes to play a great acquisition at the deadline from Boston, really an underrated steal from Washington. Uh, now he's going to be a free agent, but he's still helping them in their playoff run now that they took down the Rays. Um, but, yeah, as a whole, just upsetting with the Yankees. Tough loss. Uh, Stanton was the only guy who really got going, and, and when you have a guy getting going and he's hitting two shots off the monster and not over the monster, that's a good unfortunate barometer of how your night's going to go. 
Yeah, I want to ask you about Cole specifically, Declan, because, you know, listen, I don't want to make excuses for Cole, and, and I honestly really don't love Cole, and I don't even make excuses for guys I do like. But Cole, I feel like almost as if he was put in a no-win situation. If he didn't take the ball, he's a wimp. Who doesn't want the ball? If he takes the ball and he gets slapped around like what happened, um, then he either can't pitch without sticky stuff or he can't pitch in the big spot. So what was your take on Cole coming away from that game? Yeah, I think it's a tough situation, but I think when you're out there pitching, you're you're pitching. And, and you know, if, if you're out there to play, you can play. Uh, so I think that, unfortunately, he's got to be graded on that uh, and that alone and just the performance he brought to the, he brought to the field. I didn't think that he was too injured. I didn't think that, that was a big issue coming in, and he never seemed like there was going to be much doubt that he was going to take the ball from what I heard. Um, the question would have been what they would have done in a potential game 163 scenario, uh, which they didn't have to face as the Blue Jays got eliminated. But I don't necessarily like Cole either, and I think that a lot of the criticism is, is unfair. But for a guy who had a Cy Young year, it was – and listen, he's not going to win the Cy Young, most likely not. But for a guy who had, the, had a Cy Young caliber year, it was most eventful and, and, and tough, really a tough year for Garrett Cole. Uh, and to come out with you know, Cy Young numbers to an extent, uh, he's in the top three. Um, but to lay an egg in Boston and Fenway, that stuff matters more, more than it would anywhere else. Uh, and and to, to be a part of the rivalry in a negative light like that, not making that as a third inning, uh, that's just, just bad baseball and it sucks when you're making 324 million dollars uh and and that's that's where you you can't even get three, you can't even input inject three innings into the game that's always uh that's always tough yeah now um Declan let's just talk real quick right before the season ends you got the three game series with Tampa and they had to squeak out a one nothing victory just to say that they were going to be in but do you think if they win a couple of those games and have home field advantage we're talking different yeah, I totally think so. I, I think that despite Boston getting swept by the Yankees in Fenway, uh, one of the last weekends of the season, the second to last weekend of the season, when Stanton just went off uh, for three home runs over the series, went seven for 12. Uh, just ridiculous. I mean, it'll be the show video game-like numbers. I think home field advantage would have played a role. Uh, and, and losing two out of three to Tampa is something that you don't want to do when you're trying to clinch home field advantage in, in baseball. It's not like there's no fans this year. I mean, you know, you can say whatever you want about it. it's all, it's all what happens on the field, but that stuff definitely matters. When you give up a two-run shot, uh, and that crowd is is going wild, is completely on you, and is really, you know, rowdy and everything. Especially as we know how that Boston crowd could be. Let alone going on the road into your arch rivals' place, despite how comfortable you may feel as of late. It's it's bad optics for the most part, and I think that having this game in Yankee Stadium, they could have taken care of business earlier or not even just taking care of business against Tampa, maybe take care of business against the Orioles. Uh, maybe don't lose two out of three a couple weeks ago. Uh, and that's and that's beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and that's how you can get out of those avoidable situations. Yeah, I want to ask you, Declan, about um, – and by the way, folks, we want your comments. Comment us live. Lenny is always here for us, always making good comments. Uh, Lenny's actually bringing up, Declan, the whole thing with Phil Nevin and Marcus Timms being canned in the last day or two. What was your take on uh, on that whole thing, the way that shook out? Do you feel like they've kind of been the sacrificial lambs, uh, Phil Nevin and Marcus Timms being let go? Well, I think when you lead the league in outs at the plate and then you solidify that with a terrible send call on Aaron Judge, one of the game's best players, the Yankees MVP, uh, in a game where they were not down one run, he was not the tying run, and there, and there wasn't even two outs, uh, in a game where two, the tying runs could have been in scoring position, you essentially fired him. He fired himself based on how he, how he handled himself this year uh, at the position. So that's fine. Marcus Timms, he's a scapegoat. I called this a while ago. They're going to do him similar to how the Mets did Chili Davis back in the beginning of the season. And you know what? It's all going to come down to this. Cashman feels comfortable with Boone as his puppet. Everyone knows that Boone should not be the manager, in my opinion. Everyone with the exception of Alex Rodriguez, the irony there, considering, considering he replaced him. Uh, I, I'm surprised he hasn't even tried to think about uh, getting his name in the race to replace him in the Bronx and the dugout this time. Uh, pinstripes uh, as the manager, but I think overall Boone should be canned. I think it's time. It's time to blow this. It's re it really is time to just blow this redundant coaching staff up 
this is a team that that over really over were underestimated and overperformed, exceeded expectations in 2017. They weren't even supposed to be a playoff team. They went to the ALCS one game away from winning this, from going to the World Series against a team that everybody knew was cheating, uh, and then now is essentially known as the Houston Asterix, uh, which is just, I mean, yeah, exactly. I like that the Houston um, Asterix. It's good. It's good. But uh, when when you inherit a team with no, you have no managerial experience. When you inherit a team that was one win away from the postseason, and you don't even get back to that at all, you have underperformed from the year prior that you took over for the last four seasons. I'm sorry, but it's time to go. Hal Steinbrenner and I know owners in New York are easy easy targets for fans and New Yorkers alike, but it's it's so played out. But George Steinbrenner would have never ever stood for any of this and i gotta be honest i don't even think steve cohen would because to go out and lose the alcs one year actually he started off by losing the alcs to boston he's now been eliminated twice by boston once by houston and once by the rays three rivals of this team they have never gotten over the hump with boone with in the postseason that right there tells the whole story so it sounds like you think that Boone should go, but let's a- let's ask you, uh, do you think he will go? No, I don't think he will go, and I think I think if he will if he was to go, they would have just fired him yesterday, unless they're really evaluating his fate, like Eagles took two extra weeks to do with Doug Peterson uh, after Black Monday last season. <laughs> I would have expected him to be gone yesterday if that was the case. Do you think that there's any backlash though from them, from? Cashman getting rid of Nevin and Tim's and not Boone that Boone may go somewhere else once the World Series is over if he doesn't in the short term re-sign with the Yankees do you think there's any validity to him saying I've had enough and the Padres or the Mets are interested that's a great question because I've heard already Chris that uh, the Padres have been in the mix Aaron Boone is a name for the Padres that they've been thinking about why the Padres are considering making this decision, your guess is as good as mine. But as far as the New York Yankees goes, Phil Nevin is a best friend of Aaron Boone, and you could take this one of two ways. Cashman either firing his guy out of respect for Boone to not make him fire his best friend, that's fine. Or Boone completely has no say, which we know he does, and he's going to go packing. Because you know what? If they fire, I know it sounds, it, it's not as little as this, but if they're, if you're a, the guy above you, your boss is firing your best friend and has given you no control as the manager of that team, essentially admitting to the public and to the players that you're a puppet and you have no say over personnel in this organization, I want out. So let's play a little game of uh, should we stay or should we go, Declan? I like it. Okay, so when I mention each of these guys, tell me if you think they will stay or go, or and also if they should stay or go. Let's nice. start with your favorite whipping boy and mine, Gary Sanchez. I love this graphic, by the way. This is awesome. <laughs> first, first of all, do I think do I think he will go? Yes, I think he will wind up getting traded for a reliever and cash considerations of potentially a minor leaguer. I don't know where, but I think that's what's going to happen in the offseason. And do I think he should go? Yes, it's time. Luke Voigt. Another guy I think that that won't – uh, sorry, I think that they will – if they re-sign Rizzo, that's the condition. And if they re-sign Rizzo, which I think they will and I think they definitely should, they'll strongly consider trading him for a pitcher as well. But do I want him to go? Yeah, I kind of want that to happen. Gio Urshela. Deep. I spoke too soon ahead of the graphic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have I'm going to have to say Keith. He plays excellent defense on the left side of the infield. Absolute gold glover. And that last game really against Tampa Bay at Yankee Stadium really solidified what he means to this team. I think they'll keep him and they should. One more for you, Declan. You ready for this one? Yes. Joey Gallo. Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I think they will uh, definitely retain him through the offseason. He's got one year left on it. He's got one. Bad news to Pete Rose. He's got – did you guys hear Pete Rose's comments, by the way? He absolutely ripped Joey Gallo's shred for all his strikeouts. He should. He should. 
He no, he definitely should. You got to cut down on it, and I think he will next year. He'll hit a little bit higher, and he'll hit for power, and he'll have a good season in pinstripes. I think they should keep him, and I think they will. And if in the event that they don't, it's because they're out of it somehow uh, at the deadline next year, and they got to trade him. But I got to tell you, Declan, I don't want Joey Gallo here anymore. Not only do I think he's a bad fit on this team, I think he's a bad player. I think he's a weird dude. I don't want to see you making weird faces and weird, like, twitching noises in, in the dugout. I don't want to see the dopey haircut on you anymore. I don't want to see you pouting after you killed a rally. And then when the Yanks finally get a rally going, he's pouting in the dugout instead of out there congratulating people. That's a bad teammate to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what goes on behind closed doors as to who Joey Gallo is. I know he's a guy who grew up a Yankees fan, uh, Brooklyn Italian guy. I like, I actually, I disagree in that I like the fit that his persona can bring, but he definitely is a strange looking guy. It takes a while, Trez, for someone who had a beard for six years to then go. <laughs> so that's where we're going. Their status blaming as the a, beard yes, for hitting 162? I'm, I am not blaming the beard for hitting 162. I'm blaming the beard for him just being a weird looking dude. I mean, Going 162 with no is the number of games months. I want you to play. That's not <laughs> the batting average I want from you. I know. I mean, what a number of strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds like an argument that sounds like an argument that I thought we'd be having about Stanton. But uh, Gallo is. I mean, you're right. He had a bad, a very bad half of the year. But you know what? For what they traded, for what they traded to get him. I don't think they gave up a ton, but I think they gave up they gave up six prospects. Nothing like no major guys, but for what they gave up, I think that that trade is going to show itself more and Joey Gallo is going to play next year. If it's a bust, it's a bust. But he's going to get the opportunity to prove more than a half a season that he can be a player. We know that he's not going to be a high average guy, but if he can hit 240, 250, 250 would be huge and get 40 home runs then he's going to contribute to this team in a way that we traded him for. We yeah. traded for him for. Now, Declan, when he first came over, everybody was so happy that both he and uh, Rizzo were hitting the ball. You know, Gallo and Rizzo hitting the ball, and everybody was happy. Then all of a sudden, Rizzo had to go out, and 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 Voight comes in, and, uh, you know, people are talking, you know, how are they going to play everybody and then put Stanton in the outfield. I got a trade proposition for you. you tell me, both you and Trez, tell me what you think, okay? Oh. Uh, I don't know what you know about Matt Olson, first baseman of the Oakland A's. Okay. Beautiful swing. All right. $5 million he got in arbitration. Probably arbitration, he'll go up to maybe $10 million in 2022. Okay. You trade Luke Voigt. You eat up Hicks's contract in center field. Probably you're going to have to eat about $20 million of that. And you give up your top prospect at shortstop, Oswald Peraza. And you get Matt Olson at first base. You go that's, ahead, Deck. That, that's the deal I would make because at that point you could afford to let Rizzo walk. This is a guy who's got more youth than Rizzo, a lot more power than Rizzo, and he's a left-handed bat that would see his average increase in Yankee Stadium, would see his powers increase as opposed to playing in the uh, questionable oval that is the O.Co. Coliseum uh, over in Oakland. But the big, uh, they got more room in South Territory. South territory is the equivalent to hitting a uh, home run at Yankee Stadium <laughs> on the right field line in comparison to Oakland. And you so Matt Olson would be a great fit. And he could play a little corner outfield as well, so you don't necessarily have to part from Rizzo. And I think for the Yankees, that's the team to hit up because they don't want uh, – the A's don't want to keep those guys around too long. Once they hit arbitration once or twice, they get rid of them. You think about the Mark Mulders, all the, you know, Giambis, all these guys, they want to get rid of them and they want to bring in somebody young. But you've got – I know you, you got to eat some contract with Hicks and you got to give up. But the Yankees do have two shortstops. And if you give up one of them in Peraza, I think the A's would go for it. And then the Yankees now solve the position at first base. I think the Yankees, and again, you guys can disagree, I think the Yankees overachieved in pitching this year. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know what, the the bullpen really came on late. Um, Tyon had a really terrible beginning of the season. He was giving you really short outings. He came on really strong in the middle of the season. Then he sort of faded at the at the end. I mean, thank goodness for Nesta Cortez really saving their rotation. Yeah. But the, the bullpen really got, got better. But if you noticed, and we talked about this on the last show, was that the guys who were either not on the team or were buried deep into 
into the bullpen at the beginning of the season as the season went on came to take on larger and more important roles late in games i think i think that what chris said is a very good it's a good take that they overachieved to an extent because while the team did have some bright spots to quote the late great coach uh Dennis Green, uh, they are what oh, we yeah. thought they were. Yeah, exactly. And, and we that, let them off what the we hook. thought they were. Yeah, we, <laughs> but see, we didn't let them off. We absolutely let them off the hook, and that would be the Red Sox. But what that pitching staff was, it's exactly what we thought they were inconsistent and full of injuries. And the big staff couldn't stay healthy. And that's the, that was a downfall from top to bottom, rotation of bullpen. The team could not stay healthy, and they were inconsistent. Chapman came out like a house on fire. He was going off for the first two months, and then he fell off, and then he was an average reliever. Britton comes back and was just putrid all all the way through, but Boone had some trust in him for whatever reason. That Only foolish analytics. I'm going to say foolish analytics. Uh, only that could justify. Uh, and those guys out of the pen. The wise guy at Abreu were some nice bright spots. Nestor Cortez, as you mentioned, Jamison Italian for the most part. He had a couple bad starts. Kluber was good, but he couldn't stay healthy. Once that injury happened, uh, he really was never the same. Just a minute or two left with you, Deck, and I want to get to um, I want to get to Glaber because you and I have gone round and around about him. What do we do with him? Do we move him back to second? Well, now that he seems comfortable back at second, here's what I want to do. I have to have somebody that can get through to him, sit him down, and say, Glaber. Um, Brett Gardner's not going to be here next year. You are going to be our leadoff hitter. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to forget about hitting home runs. I want you to be on base much, much more often. I want to put you in the leadoff spot. And this way, when Stanton and Judge each close in on 40 home runs, they don't both have less than 100 RBIs. You should be on base when those guys are hitting home runs. But I can't put you in the leadoff spot if you're swinging for the fences every time. You know, it, it's, it sounds strange for me to say, Declan, um, and I really didn't love this guy when he was here, but my goodness, where have you gone, Chuck Knobloch? Okay? Um, I want Glaber Torres to become Chuck Knobloch. That's what I want. Well, I think the one thing that Glaber has done that Chuck Knobloch has on is hit 40 home runs in the season. So Glaber does have the pop. But I don't want Whatever him doing with- that, Declan. Right, but he's not a fast he's not a fast guy and he's not a contact hitter. But can he become a contact hitter? That's my point to you. Can he become an on-base guy? I think in today's day and age with how set players and organizations are and what they expect from players and those guys' skill sets, I think it was enough to move him from second to shortstop. If I'm Glaber Torres, and, and I have no leg to complain or or stand on, but if I'm Glaber Torres, and now I'm with this organization that traded for me in 2016, and they switched my position, moved me around completely, threw off my hitting after a great season in 2019 where I had 38 home runs at 100 RBIs, and now they're going to ask me to switch my game, hit less home runs, Play, be a contact hitter, hit leadoff, and get on base more. I don't see how that couldn't get in his head with everything that gets in his head. I mean, his hitting affects his defense affected his hitting. So I don't, I don't see how changing him completely is not going to mess with him even more. Yeah, I guess you got a point with that, Teclan. Hey, listen, we've got to run. Uh, we've got Sean Landetta, folks, right after the break. Declan, great job. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Love seeing you in the chair, Chris. All right. Take care, Doug. <laughs> Thanks. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Super Bowl champ Sean Landetta right after this on Spot on Sports. Hi, my name is Dave Crow, proprietor of Belfast Gastro Pub in beautiful downtown Lindenhurst. We are the heartbeat of the village, serving exceptional dishes throughout the day, created by our executive chef, James Tomlinson. Whether it's to dine in our purpose-built outdoor dining area that seats 60 persons, or to enjoy a pint or a cocktail at our 40-foot mahogany bar, we also have a private catering room that can accommodate up to 60 guests. Love stories begin at Belfast. Now back to Spot on Sports with Mike Trezza and Mike Godone. 
Welcome back to Spot on Sports. Mike Trezza, Chris Computo. We're joined on the phone right now by New York Giants legend, two-time Super Bowl winner, Sean Landetta. Sean, welcome to the show. Great to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much. So uh, let's react off of last week's game, Sean. Other than the sort of somewhat lopsided final score and the rash of injuries suffered by the Giants, any big takeaways uh, from the game with Dallas? Well, the biggest one I would say is uh, the emergence of the young uh, receiver, Darius Tony. I mean, uh, first-round pick, we all heard everything about him in college, how great explosive he was and we've all been waiting for him to do something and uh listen against the cowboys he was outstanding look at the way he played he he really emerged and uh we all understand after uh he got pushed he, he kind of threw a punch and uh you know lost his cool a little bit but he's a young player hopefully he'll learn from that and uh let's hope we can get that kind of production uh or close to it every week because uh, as far as his receiving play was it was outstanding one of the big uncertainties, Sean, coming into this week's game, home game against the Rams, is whether or not uh, Daniel Jones is going to play. Uh, any latest development on whether or not Jones will be in there Sunday? None that I've heard. Uh, you know, obviously they have to get him through the protocol, the uh, concussion protocol. And, uh, you know, I guess if they feel that he's ready to go, uh, they'll put him through the test. And if he's ready, they'll put him out there. I know. I know there's also a school of thought that maybe even if he's ready, uh, may it be better to rest him another week just to make sure. Uh, those are all questions the trainers and doctors will answer. But uh, certainly he would give the Giants a better chance to win. I thought Mike Glennon did a nice job filling in for him last week. But uh, that being said, Jones is certainly the better quarterback. And uh, let's see if he's ready to go. Hey, Sean, this is Chris here. Um from your own perspective, you know, when things when, when games are getting tough and, uh, you know, stuff like this happens and you're the punter, if you have to go out there maybe eight, nine times a game and you're maybe backed up on your end zone, does that put more pressure on you or is that more of a challenge in these type of situations? Well, certainly it changes, you know, it, it changes the aspect as far as your contribution to the team in the game. And on one hand, yes, it is more pressure. But on the other hand, I have to tell you, it's something that every punter desires. I mean, we play a position that it's ironic that when we're in the game, it's not good, right? The only <laughs> reason we come in, the only reason we come in is because we haven't made the first down. And, you know, coaches a lot of times will tell me, Sean, I hope you punt once at the end of the game when we're winning by 20. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, I understand. But because uh, if you're punting seven, eight, nine times, as you said, that's not good. But uh, we're punters and we like to punt. So, uh, every guy embraces that. You love to get out there and play and feel like you can do something to help your team win. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen often, but in the case where the Giants stand now, you will see that happen more. Let's stay on that vein for a sec, Sean. Uh, Graham Gano had the huge um, consecutive field goal made streak this year. What else have you seen from the Giants special teams this year uh, that you've liked? or been impressed with, or maybe an area or two where you think they could use a little improvement? Well, I think they're a real solid group. Their uh, special teams coach is a, a veteran guy, but more important than that, the head coach, Joe Judge, was a special teams coach for years in New England. I had a chance to spend some time with him up there uh, four or five years ago. And anytime your head coach was a special teams coach in the league, uh, it, it usually means your teams are going to be a little tighter in all phases. Because not that all head coaches don't understand it, but certainly if you had one that lived it, it makes a difference. But Gano, as you mentioned, he's been amazing. He's been like a machine. You know, I think Dixon, the punter, has done a good job. Uh, you know, we all like to see guys be great all the time. But in general, I think he's been very steady. He's a very good holder. And, you know, you'd like to get more out of your return game, but the game's different now. The, the kickoff returns, you don't get as much. and you know, the punters punt the ball better. The guys are faster. It, it's tougher to get that uh, those yards that we used to get in the past. So all in all, you know, I would think the Giants special teams are a pretty solid group.
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, that 1990 team specifically. Not that 86 team where you guys were just rolling over everybody, but the 90 team. You guys played a lot of really close games down the stretch. Um, even when Hostetler took over for Sims, played a really tight game in the NFC Championship game. And one of the things I remember, Sean, is sort of the symmetry between you and Renee Thompson that year. Can you talk a little bit about how you and Renee were able to get so much on the same page and, and have such a good chemistry that year? You know, I can, and I appreciate you bringing that up because, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't notice that. You did, and, and it was something that was real. I mean, we would practice during the week. We would talk about different places on the field, you know, different hash mark and where he'd line up, closer to the numbers, closer to the sideline, which direction was I going to punt the ball based on how the other team rushed or the other team's returner. And I was so fortunate to have a guy like him who was so skilled at getting down the field, and I would try to put the ball in a place to give him the best chance to make a play. And uh, There were even times, I wish I had it on film, where you know, as I was standing back to punt four or five seconds before the snap come, He'd look over at me. He might let me know if he's going to release inside or outside, or I'd look at him and tell him which way I feel I can punt real good right now. And it's almost we had like a little game going on within the game between us. And I uh, appreciate you bringing that up because uh, that, that really was a, a good thing that helped our special teams out. And the main reason for it was just he was such a great player at his position. Hey, Sean, um, you know, I know that for the Giants, you know, one of the big things, obviously, offensive line. And I think they're trying to get, um, you know, Thomas back on the line is one of the guys that they're looking at. And Solder, um, you know, has been a guy that they're trying to place in there. Injuries can be really tough for a quarterback and probably also for a punter. So two things. One, how about the, the Giants offensive line? Number one, keeping them healthy and on the field. And number two, you played for like 22 years. How do you keep yourself healthy? year in, year out, so that you're not on the sideline during the game time? Well, as far as the offensive line is concerned, you know, you, you, you always want to have an answer. We want to have answers of why things don't go well, and we like to have as much control over things. But sometimes, as much as we don't like to say it, it can just be bad luck. And what I mean by that is no one tries to get injured. No one tries to get injured. Today, more than ever, uh, training staffs are constantly going over their routines of how guys lift, how they stretch, how they recover, the treatment they get. And, uh, you know, a team never wants to do anything to put a player in a position where because of working out of practice that he will be more susceptible to injury. So that being said, I said before, no one tries to get hurt. And when someone gets hurt, it, it just happens then. You know, at the rate it's happened to the Giants and in the positions it's happened, it's just been bad luck. Uh, you know, and, and you just hope it stops because at some point when you lose this many players, uh, when you line up against your opponent, you'll have good players, but certainly not as many as the other team will have. So, uh, you know, that that's really what it comes down to for those guys. As far as my situation you know, I was pretty fortunate. The, the injury rate in the NFL is about 100. It, it's 100%. Everybody gets hurt. But the thing with punters is usually if you get injured, you get injured in a place where you don't get hit there again and usually have time to recover. I mean, I had uh, people are surprised when I tell them I had a torn calf, I had a broken wrist, I had herniated discs, I had an ACL, I had a torn meniscus, I had broken fingers. And they look at me like, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. But as you mentioned, I was fortunate to have it all over a long period of time. But each one of them really got a chance to heal. You know, if a linebacker breaks his wrist like I did and you're out for eight weeks and you come back, his first two or three series, he's going to get hit on that wrist five or six times, where I may not get hit on my wrist for three more years. So a guy in my position uh, has the injury, but we really have a chance to heal more than the position players do. So, uh, you know, I was pretty lucky when it came to that. Speaking of guys who have had a lot of bad luck, Sean, with injuries, Saquon Barkley is now out again, and um, ankle injury this time. And there's that always that old catch-22. Do you want to wait 
until Saquon is fully healthy to put him in? Uh, or do you want to put him in figuring that 75% of him it might be better than somebody else? How would you sort of uh, negotiate that conundrum? Well, that's a good question, and it's something that, you know, the coaches, trainers, and doctors get together with the player. And, uh, you know, they understand that a guy may not get back to 100%, but if he's able to play at 70 or 80%, he can still contribute. And because he's so good, sometimes a guy at that percentage is better than his backup at 100. So most important thing is they look at the player, you know, and see if he's physically really able to play it. You know, the old saying, you have, there's injury. You know, if somebody's injured, then you're injured. You know what I mean? But if it's hurt, it's something if you can play with, you know, you'll do that. And, and you mentioned again, like you said, bad luck. We all saw the highlight. I mean, you imagine he steps on that guy's foot and his ankle turns the way it did. And then we all saw the picture of it blowing up like a, a softball was underneath the skin there. And, uh, you know, obviously the Giants will be much better when he comes back because it really looked like every week he was getting better and better, getting back to the Saquon Barkley we saw early in his career. Really tough stretch of games coming up, Sean. Uh, as I mentioned, home against the Rams this Sunday, Carolina at home after that. And then that following Monday night, the 1st of November, the Giants go out to Arrowhead for a Monday night game. Never an easy place to play. Uh, what do the Giants need to do to get themselves right and get themselves back in the hunt for this season? Well, they just need to keep plugging along, try to, make those plays in the, the key situations. I mean, you know, we've all talked about it. If you follow the Giants, the, you know, two of their losses early came on the last play of the game, right? We all re remember what happened in Washington. And then uh, even the following week, I mean, uh, the Giants are this close to having two more wins, but they don't. And you talk about the uh, schedule they had and with the injuries, you know, they last year they were one and seven at one point, And we hope not, but, who knows? Maybe that could be the case. Now, last year when they were one and seven, four weeks later they were five and seven, and because of the weakness of the NFC East, they were only two games out of first place. So, uh, I hope it's not one and seven again like last year. I hope they can find a way to get a few wins against those tough teams you mentioned. But it's a long season, and uh, if they can get all their guys back, hopefully they can do what they did last year: have a four or five game run. Uh, to get back in the thick of it because right now uh, things aren't going well and certainly with the injuries and the teams they have to play things don't look good for them yeah Sean I think um, you, you know you mentioned the tough times that they're going through and obviously you got to get healthy number one a little bit of a change this year you have 17 games so you got that extra week which could be good or it could be bad but you talked a little bit about Joe Judge can you explain maybe either what you know about him or what he might be going through right now with the locker room and also people are talking about him being a disciplinarian well I, I don't know Joe well but I did mention before I got to spend a day with him up in New England several years ago and you know I, I like the fact that he was very serious about his job uh you know he, he was all he was a hands-on kind of guy and I noticed he was a cerebral guy I believe he was a quarterback he played in the SEC he was at Alabama as a coach and he's been in, in New England he's been around a lot of uh, good leaders and good people so I, I think he has everything it takes to be a good head coach. Now we have to see if the results are there, meaning wins or losses. It's uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not that he's not a good coach and he can't get things across, but uh, it has to show up in the wins and losses, and we we just haven't seen that yet. So let's see what happens. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate a few minutes of your time. Have a great weekend, and let's go Giants this weekend. Okay. I appreciate it. So great talking with you guys. Thanks for having me on your show. All Thank right. You. Thanks again, Sean. Thanks, Sean. All the best. You're welcome. We're going to take a quick break, folks, and we'll be right back right after this on Spot on Sports. Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York. Now it's time for Spot on Sports. 
Here's your host, Mike Trezza and Mike Cadone. Welcome back, everyone, to Spot on Sports. Mike Trezza joined in the studio this week by Chris Caputo. I get it right that time? You did. Chris Caputo. Uh, so, Chris, we're ready to dive into some med action. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Five West Barbershop. Five West Barbershop, folks, my man Pete, he's a great guy. He's really great at what he does. Um, if you want to look as great as I do, no, 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 I probably shouldn't say it that way. Uh, if you want to look much, much better than I do, uh, go to Five West Barbershop. They're at Five West Hoffman Avenue, Lindenhurst. Pete, great guy, great barber. Everybody in there, tremendous uh, personalities, uh, really friendly place, and just um, just a great place. So uh, give them a call at 631-450-4129, or better yet, just stop right in at 5 West Hoffman in Lindenhurst. You get a discount there, Mike, for him not having to spend as much time on you? <laughs> I'm done within like five minutes. That's you know. it. He's making his money. Pete's yeah, doing a good job. Absolutely. So we got one one other thing coming up. We want you to make sure that you know that the 11th annual Alzheimer's uh, All-Star Basketball Classic is going to be at Amityville High School. And that will feature a lot of the best high school players uh, for gir girls and boys here from Nassau and Suffolk. There'll be a family event, prizes, 50-50, different giveaways. And uh, it's $10. The mission, obviously, the money goes towards the Long Island Alzheimer's and Dementia Center and also the Day Haven Adult uh, day services. Once again, that's Sunday, October 24th, 2021, with the girls' game at 3 o'clock and the boys' game at 5 o'clock. For more info, you can contact Gordon Thomas at 631-834-0383. And on the mic that night, the voice right next to me, Mike Trezza. Yes, I will be working that game. Uh, Gordon, actually, I spoke with him a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you go, know Gordon Thomas, the Amityville coach. Really, really nice guy. Um, went to St. John's, was drafted by the Knicks back in the days when they used to have multiple um, rounds of NBA draft. But really nice guy. So, you know, my mother-in-law, my very dear mother-in-law, passed away in 2013 of Alzheimer's-related um disease so um i wanted to do this as a way to honor her and you know listen it's going to be a good time it's going to be um people that are really um you know great players from all over nassau and suffolk girls as well as boys as chris mentions girls game is at three o'clock boys game at five o'clock so if you can make it it's next sunday uh over at amityville high so i'm looking forward to that sounds like a good time yeah, so we, uh, Chris and I are going to get into some Mets right now. And, you know, I really haven't had a chance to speak with you, Chris, since uh, the end of Mets season. So, you know, you and I sort of talked about this with Mike at various points during this year about the power structure on the Mets and um, the fact that the Mets' plan right now, it seems, is to have Sandy back, Sandy Alderson running the show uh, making financial decisions, but trying to separate those from baseball decisions. So in terms of the power structure, what's your view of what's going on over there in Flushing? I think we have an issue because Sandy's been here. He's been gone. He's come back and uh, he's he, he's back in charge. The Mets need to hire a president of baseball operations. And if really there's not too many people in your organization to make that decision, if he's the financial guy, it sounds like he's making that decision. And then maybe that person will make the decision on who's going to be the manager or who's going to stick around. Um, Sandy's going to stick around for another year, whether you like it or not. And he's basically become Steve Cohen's personal assistant when it comes to making these decisions. But I think there's a lot of conflict of interest. And, you know, we talk about the Yankees and who's going to make some of their decisions and who's coming down. You know, it, it definitely starts from up top, and I think some things need to change. And maybe once they hire a president of baseball operations, that person will want some more control, and Sandy will kind of fade away this year. But until that decision is made, he's there. Does it even make sense, Chris, at this point to start to talk about potential managerial uh, candidates for field manager, or is that premature um, until we have a more definite power structure in place you know i really don't know i'm not sure you know we could talk about president of baseball operations so i would say pretty much david stearns from the uh brewer sounds like he's out 
he made some comments of, hey, my family's happy here and we have a lot of work to do in Milwaukee. The Mets are obviously eyeing in on Billy Bean, uh, like it or not. And uh, then a couple of guys from the Dodgers. So we may have to wait until the Dodgers are done. I'm not sure until the Mets hire somebody because maybe those guys want to bring their own guys in. So it may be premature. Uh, Mike Schilt just got released by the Cardinals, surprisingly, after having made the playoffs three out of four years and team won 17 games in a row. He's available. There's a lot of good candidates besides the names of the Buck Walters and the Ron Washingtons. And, you know, one of the names that has come up recently is Walt Weiss. He was with the uh, sure. Remember the, him well, the Braves for a little bit. And these guys, they kind of take a second step back and they become a bench guy and they see things a little differently. And then sometimes these guys get a second chance. It may be premature, but you got to talk about it. You got to talk about who's going to be the next person in charge. They've already told all these coaches you can go look for other jobs. So it doesn't look like they're hiring from within. Carlos Beltran's main name might come up again. I think he might be one of the guys in the mix. Uh, would I be against a, a Buck Showalter? I'm not sure. So there's a lot of names out there, but I think you're right, Mike. It has to start with the president of baseball operations first. Now, you mentioned Carlos Beltran. I got the impression, speaking with you during the season, that you would not be opposed to that, that you would be in favor of possibly giving Beltran that second first shot if you will you know i'm not sure i i would say this he doesn't have the major league manager experience however you look at cora in boston he paid his dues with everything that went on with the asterisks as uh declan brought up um and also you have um you know the manager that was there before hinch he went on he paid his dues and then he got rehired so What's to say that a guy that was involved in the, you know, the Astros stuff can't have a second chance? I'm not totally against it. You know, are people going to think of him in that manner where he stood there and took a third strike from, uh, you know, uh, from the Cardinals? <laughs> We're going back a long way for that one, or, though, Chris. You know, a lot of people think about this, Mike. People bring up names like David Wright. People bring up names like, um, you know, Derek Jeter. They bring up these big time names. But think about this as a as a talk show host, as a person sitting here, do you want your favorite guy, the guy who you loved three weeks into the season when they're three and 13? Do you want to rip him apart and say, man, I got to get rid of David Wright. He's 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 taught he's doing a terrible job. So you got to think when everybody brings up these big names, do you really want that guy managing? Because three months into the season, you're going to want to get rid of him. And do you want to remember him? as that person who got fired, or do you want to remember him as the Hall of Famer that he was? And that's why I'm not into the the big-time name, just throwing him in the bench. But Beltran, I think, has done some of that. Um, but I'm more of a, a guy who's kind of done it before, you know, a guy who's even done it in the minor leagues. I'm, you know, I'm a big Joe McEwing fan, guy who was with the Mets, kind of served his time. I'm really not into the Mets right now going out and getting an 80-year-old guy you know, a Terry Collins, a Buck Showalter. I really don't want to see that right now. I want to see some energy. Now, um, I've heard this term from you. I've heard it from a lot of Met fans. And I want to see if you can sort of define it or put your finger on it. And that's bad culture. Bad culture comes from where? Does it come from the ownership level, Chris? Does it come from the GM level? Is it a bad culture with Sandy bringing in guys that, you know, we've talked about it at length, have had their problems? Um, I mean, everybody from Mickey Calloway to, uh, you know, and we've talked about it at length. But where does bad culture start? How do you define it and how do you change it? I think, number one, there's a lot of tradition out there. So the first thing is when you're at a club that knows this is the way it's done, people come in and make sure that they don't ripple those waters a little bit. But it also starts with leadership in the clubhouse. Could that be a manager? Yes. But could it be a player? You heard some of the Mets come out after the season is over. Guys like McNeil saying, you know. There was no leadership in the clubhouse this year. And I but think if you're the guy saying that, why aren't you providing some leadership? I agree. But most of the time, people are looking for leaders from the guys who are making the most money, batting third in the lineup, striking out 250 guys a year. They're not looking for it from the, you know, backup third baseman. So 
I think a lot of those guys who are making those statements are not the guys higher up, and they don't feel like they can come in a clubhouse and make that change. So by saying that, is he really saying, I want Pete Alonso to be my leader and Pete is not our leader? Partially, or Francisco Lindor, or um, you know, the next guy in the line. DeGrom's hurt for most of the year. Right. And he's also not that rah-rah guy who's going to step up and say stuff. You know, so I think it's really hard. And then you have a manager who this year, last year, is pretty subdued. You know, he's he's not the guy. Now, he did he was the guy who got thrown out of the most games out of any manager in the major leagues this year. Wow, that surprises me. Because he kind of pick and chooses times where maybe it's not the right time or he thinks it's the right time to go out there. But for the most part, you know, he's not the guy after the game who's coming in and saying, if you're not doing the job, we're going to go find somebody in the minor leagues and we're going to get you and we're going to find that. And I think when you have that guy that comes in and, and just puts that into the clubhouse, everybody else buys in. And I think they need that. And that, as you were asking, I think that starts at the top. You know, you got Sandy Alderson who, you know, is licking his lips during a conversation and trying to have a you don't, you don't need that. Right now, the Mets need a young guy, 36, 38 years old, who's going to run this, get in maybe a guy who's 45, 50 years old to be the manager and get some life, get some youth in this team. All right. Are you ready to play our favorite new game, Chris? Let's do it. Should we stay or should we go? All right. So here's what I want you to tell me about each of the players that I mentioned. Do you think they will stay or go? And do you think they should? Stay or go. Let's start with one of your favorites, Michael Conforto. On both accounts, I think he's out. I think he's got to go. All right, so no no qualifying offer, no tender, no nothing. I think the Mets may offer him a qualifying offer. Um, he's not going to accept it. I think he somehow thinks that he's going to move on. I think uh, he made a diving catch in the outfield. Everybody gave him a round of applause and, <laughs> and, and he moves on. He just, it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes your time is up and the Mets need to go elsewhere. He needs to go elsewhere. So I think Conforto out. Don't be looking at my sheet. Chris. I'm not, I'm I see not. you trying to I, you can looking at my sheet, cover it up with the, whatever Sean Landetta <laughs> just said. All right. Um, Javi Baez. Uh, Baez. I think Lindor wants him there. I think the Mets will possibly look into it. I think he's going to ask for a decent amount of money. Um, I think in the end he goes elsewhere, but I think the Mets should go after him. He obviously proved that he can play in New York. Um, he cut down on his strikeouts, so whoever was, you know, Donnie Stevenson or whoever was his hitting coach this year, Quattlebuck, somebody did something to talk to him to get him to cut down with two strikes and try and get some hits. But I think the Mets are going to lowball him and he's going to move on. Dominic Smith. Um, I think Dom stays just because of the control they have over him. Will they go to a DH in the National League next year? Yeah. But can Dom Smith be either the first baseman so Pete Alonso can be the DH? Or is he going to be the DH? Because he can't play the outfield. And if he's hitting 220 with six homers and 40 RBIs, is it really worth, you know, keeping him around? I think he winds up, unfortunately, next year for the Mets being a a, a pinch hitter off the bench. Nemo. Uh, Got to stay. I mean, this guy's a classic 400 or better on base percentage, hits home runs, runs into walls, comes back out there. He, he Every day is your starting center fielder. I think he's hitting lefties better um, than he was in the past. And I think he's his stock is probably put him as one of the top five center fielders now in the game. Should stay, will stay. Uh, both. Okay. Um, you got to give me some music on this one, Michael. You ready for this one? Syndergaard. Well, should he stay? Um, probably not. Will he stay? Probably yes. Um, $20 million qualifying offer. He's going to take it. Uh, he pitched what two innings this year, and <laughs> not exactly overworked. I you guess. know he he wind up went from a zero ERA to like a nine ERA because of you know giving up two runs. Um, I, I think it's he's been off for a long time, and if you're expecting a lot out of him next year, um, you, you, you're clueless. You, he has not pitched in two years. Is he going to be able to pitch more than a hundred innings and stay healthy? Probably not. But I think the Mets will give him the qualifying offer and he'll take it. 
Two more guys for you. J.D. Davis. Uh, I think the writing's on the wall. He's out. He basically has said, hey, we know we need a change here. Um, he was playing with, he was saying his, he broke his, his pinky or his thumb or something like that, and he was going to have surgery in the offseason. But, you know, he really, he couldn't hit lefties, and people are like, oh, he's going to bat against lefties. He started the year off batting 400. So at the end of the year, when you're batting 290, everybody looks says, oh, you're batting 290. But uh, I think he's better off elsewhere. He may have a great year, but I think uh, it's time for him to move on. They just don't have a spot for him. McNeil. That's the big one that, that, that Guadone always talks about. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, the Mets trying to get rid of him. Um, I don't know if this year was analytics where – the shift he was always hitting the ball hard and it was going to them i mean his nickname is slam the helmet down every single time you look at him he <laughs> just not a great at, nickname no he I just think that was my nickname when i played <laughs> little league it's just he looks always frustrated and i think he needs a year off he needs the six months to just work on himself and not play baseball but just get in the cage change some things up and not look at results he was always looking at man i hit the ball hard and i got out um Where's the spot for him, though? I mean, you can go around the infield, and you got Lindor, you got McNeil, you know, you got Nimmo, after, and, and, and James McCann's going to be stay, sticking around. But after that, they've got a lot of changes they got to make. And if you expect them every year to compete by just rolling out the same guys, it's not going to happen. The Atlanta Braves are back against the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series for a reason. When it came time to making changes, they made changes. When it came time for the trade deadline, they didn't wait. They went out and got themselves three outfielders, uh, an extra uh, shortstop, a pitcher here. And the Mets, what did they do? I mean, we talked about this. They really did nothing besides maybe go after Javi Baez. Um, the only thing I want to know from you as a Met fan have you gotten that renewal uh, slip in the mail yet? Asking for your money for next year, Chris. I didn't as much, but I've heard a lot of people say, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what they're about. They're trying to sell you on stuff. Uh, I did try and take a group outing for next year. But, you know, one of the things I am worried about, Mike, is the collective bargaining agreement up. And um, I don't know if we're going to have baseball on opening day. Wow. I really think uh, things are going to be delayed. If they do, it's going to be, you know, more like February. And a lot of these free agents are going to be holding on. And, um, you know, a lot of these guys that are coming up, there's a lot of shortstops that are available. I'm sure the Yankees might look at a couple of them here or there. Yeah, I meant um, to get to that with Declan, and we ran out of time. You, you got a lot of big guys. Carlos Correa, you know, some of these guys Trevor say, hey, story. I would look got, good uh, in uh, Seager from the Dodgers. Sure. I mean, these guys say, hey, I would look good in, in blue, whether it be Yankee blue or Mets blue. But there's a lot of guys out there, and um, I think – they're going to be holding on in February and March. They're still going to be looking for teams. And and I really am unsure if the end of March that we're all playing baseball. Wow. All right. So uh, just a few minutes left, Chris. I want to just shift gears with you and get into some stuff because, um, you know, it seems like New York fans coming off uh, a regular season baseball hangover and now with really not a heck of a lot to root for for this football season want to move right on to the winter sports uh, seasons where we had, we had good seasons last year. Let's face it. Um, Knicks, Nets, Islanders, all really good seasons. So uh, let's talk about the Knicks for a few minutes. In your view, did they do enough in the off season to sort of take that next step, whatever that next step is, to really be a force. Now, listen, was it nice to get in a 4-5 series after years of not making the playoffs and looking dreadful? Yeah, it was nice. Did they take New York for a ride last year? Yeah, they took New York for a little bit of a ride. But guess what? Atlanta took them for a ride in the first round of the playoffs, and they were gone in four games, Chris. So, I mean, did they do enough to improve this um, in the offseason? Well, I think for them, they tried. They went out and got Kemba Walker. Now, at 31, is he going to have a rebound year? You know, um, he loves playing at the Garden as per the Big East tournament. Um, so that's one player. Um, I like Fournier. Some people think he's going to be an all-star this year. I'm not as high on that. Um, are you going to get a rebound maybe out of like a Taj Gibson? You know, R.J. Barrett, those guys. See, my big thing is you had the most improved player of the year on your team last year. Julius. 
But when it came time for the playoffs, where was Mr. Randall? Well, that, see, that's the thing, though. I keep coming back to this point with Mike and saying, Mike, um, Julius is, is a really good scorer, but I don't know that I want him to be my, my primary option on my team. And to me, I didn't feel like they needed two guys ahead of him, but I did feel like they needed one guy to be option one and have Julius be option two. And I watched a few minutes of preseason yeah. with the Knicks. And listen, I mean, it's hard to tell a lot sure. from preseason. But in the stretch of that last game, they had – Guys on the floor that are going to be on the floor at crunch time. And I said to myself, well, this kind of looks like you know, what I saw from the Knicks last year. It didn't really look all that different. Yeah, I think uh, you get a, maybe a little bit of a rejuvenation out of Derrick Rose. You can't have him playing 31 minutes a night, no. though. 18 minutes a night, get something good out of him, get him off the court, give him a night off here or there. But I don't know. Do you think that – the Knicks have taken the next step to win a playoff series. Let's just leave it at that. Um, you know what? Honestly, I think they needed to do a little bit more in the offseason. So I see them possibly stuck a, a little bit in that 4-5 sort of, right. uh, you know, in that 4-5 spot. And I think what you're saying is basically you you can't feel it until it's, they prove it. You know, you just exactly. have, you've been disappointed so much. And this is how I am as a Mets fan. You've been disappointed so much that until they win a playoff series, you're just not going to believe whether Randall puts up 30 and 17 this year as an average. When it comes time for that first playoff series, your first thought is, is he going to dribble too much? Is he going to go two for 19? Right. Who's going to take on the role? I think that they have done something, but have they done enough to win a playoff series? I'm not sure. You know, you still got the 76ers. You still got the Hawks. You still got these teams that are, you know, putting in the time. You still got the Bucs. And obviously and you, you still, still have the, the Bucs. Yeah, and we haven't even <laughs> talked about the Bucs and the Nets. Um, so speaking of the Nets, let's get into just for a minute or two the whole Kyrie situation because, you know, I know Gadon is going to be chomping at the bit and he's going to be mad that we brought this up without, without getting um, into it with him because uh, I know he has some strong opinions on this. In your view, what do the Nets do now? Sean Marks was very definite in staking out his, um, you know, his sort of messaging that the Nets were not going to put up with Kyrie being a part-time player as a fan of the Nets. I agree with that 100%. Um, what happens next in this situation? Well, it sounds as if he either sits out the season or they try and trade him. What are you going to get for him? I really don't know because those teams are probably worrying about what Kyrie is going to be for them. So I think this is uh, not going to end well. I think he's going to wind up, you know, he knows the consequences, but he still can get paid for the road games or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, the COVID situation has changed a lot of things for the everyday person. The athlete at the high level they make enough money that sitting out for a year doesn't bother them. You know, somebody who has a job where they're making fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year and they're told if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to lose your job. It affects them way more than it affects Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I understand that, Chris. But here's the deal. You came here with Kevin Durant with this grandmaster plan to sort of take over the NBA and win not a championship, but multiple championships. And here you are not only bailing out on fans, forget about fans, who cares about them, bailing out on your teammates, your coaching staff. Um, you're bailing out on, on Durant, the guy with whom you had this – this accord to be here and to sort of win together. But do you think that Durant, Harden, those type of guys have enough say to get Kyrie to get the vaccine? I, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't think they're I talking. Um, you know, I, I think that here, here's my thing. Getting back to your point about trading Kyrie, I would trade Kyrie and I would do it now. Even if I didn't get fair market value back in return, I got to get him off this team, the old addition by subtraction uh, thing. And I think 
that with Harden and Durant and the supporting cast that they have around them, they can still win. I without believe Kyrie. so. You got Lamarcus Aldridge back. You got you know guys that can shoot the ball. You just need somebody else out there who has the hand. You don't need the points of Kyrie. You need the handle of Kyrie. You need the passing of Kyrie. And they need to bring in somebody who can give them something. And I know as we were saying, they, you know they went out and got themselves Patty Mills. Uh, that's going to help a little Great bit. Great acquisition. So if you can trade Kyrie. Maybe get a draft pick and maybe get a sixth, seventh man. I think you'd be okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, everybody is going to be keeping an eye on this situation because this is going to have effects outside of the Nets to the larger segment of the NBA, to the larger segment of suspension. Of, of sports and even outside Chris outside of sports to the largest segment of society yeah I think um this is not just what's going on in the NBA this is not just what's going on in the NFL you look at the NHL saying that we only have four unvaccinated players or something like that people want to know you know where is this country going to so I think you're right it it really does have ramifications and is this going to go into other cultures of our life yeah. So that's going to do it, folks, for us here tonight on Spot on Sports. I want to thank Chris Caputo for coming into the studio and being my co-host tonight. Chris, fantastic job. And thanks for having me. It was great to have you. Uh, I want to mention, folks, before we sign off, that we will be doing the live show on the 1st of November on Monday night as a lead-in to the Giant game that night from our sponsor, the Belfast Pub in Lindenhurst. I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully you can make it down, Chris, because I'd love to see you down there. We're going to have Johnny Sticks uh, talk some Islanders with us that night. We're going to ramp up our Islanders coverage that night. But in the meantime, we want to thank Sean Landetta for hopping on with us. We're here at Format Studio in Deer Park. Our engineer is the great Michael Anthony. Our voiceover guy is the amazing A. Archie Snowden. Our theme song is by Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the Jets fanatic. For Micah Doan, Chris Caputo, Declan Krogman, and everyone here at Spot on Sports, this is Mike Trezor saying thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Spot on Sports. Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York.